welcome to The Aggressive Life. The Aggressive Life is about taking off the cruise control in your life. It's about not coasting. It's about not waiting for something to happen. It's about making a move for something to happen, taking responsibility for your life, making some strong moves. That's the kind of aggression we're talking about. It's also about evaluating the things that we say. Like, I am, a, I am really anal about learning how to decrease vocal interferences like um um uh i hate uh uh um i, I really that really bothers me one time at a staff meeting i brought up a i think it was a hundred dollar bill and i put it on the table and somebody was speaking i said if you can go the whole time and not do um you can have this hundred dollar bill and they couldn't do it i did like three people in a row they could not do it i just i think words matter i really do words like hey man how you doing what do we say? Phew, man, busy. I'm, um, uh, I'm just busy. We hear that all the time. I'm busy. I'm busy. Those words matter. The number of us who say I'm busy, are we really busy or do we just mindlessly say the thing that we've always said? That answer is too familiar. It feels like a given. It doesn't have to be. What? What if not being controlled by our time, you took control of it? That's the aggressive move we're going after today with our guest. Jordan Rayner is a successful entrepreneur with a high get-it-done gear. He's helped start multiple companies. He's currently serving as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup. He's spoken at Harvard, at Harvard, the South by Southwest Festival. He's been selected as a Google Fellow twice and he served in the White House under George W. Bush. He's an author. He's a successful podcaster. He's a dad of three daughters. So if anyone understands managing time, it is this guy. He's got a new book out called Redeeming Your Time, packed with wisdom from the Bible and the lives of influential historical figures. I'm looking forward to this one personally. I feel like my time is getting away from me. So welcome to the aggressive life, Jordan Raynor. That's an aggressive introduction. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, is it uncomfortable <laughs> hearing introductions? Because it is for me. Is it for you? It's the worst. It's the worst experience in the world uh, as a podcast guest. It's terrible. <laughs> it just goes on and on. Well, you know, you're a pretty accomplished, good dude. So you got a lot of stuff there. You've actually done a deep dive on some of the unusual people out there that have done a lot of fascinating things related to time. So I'd like to cover those first. Let's do it. So just fascinating things that you've learned from how people manage their time. Winston Churchill, what'd you learn about that, about him? Oh man. Uh, so talk about Winston in this chapter about productive rest, this idea that rest, certain God-given rhythms of, of rest are counterintuitively the most productive things we do. And what I learned from Churchill is this old adage that if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. If you work with your hands, rest with your mind. That is the most restorative way to rest and fully recharge your energy throughout the day. So Churchill, a statesman, a writer, uh, spent his whole life working with his mind, but he would rest by laying bricks outside of his house. And by painting, he painted something like 500 paintings in his career. And he actually has a terrific essay about the wisdom of working out different parts of your body and your brain when you're resting in order to recharge your batteries to get back into the real work that you have to do in your career. Fascinating. And that was, you're saying Churchill had a philosophy about that and state. Oh yeah. Churchill has Dude, a whole essay that's about fantastic. Brilliant. That is, 
We, we should just close in prayer right now. That's freaking amazing. <laughs> Seriously, that, that is, I tell you what, I, I, I practiced that for the last couple decades and I've always felt guilty about it. I tell people what I do for rest, which are very physical, tactile things. It was like, yeah, what do you do? What do you do? Oh gosh, I love fixing my motorcycle, like riding my motorcycle. I like yes. I love fixing uh, and putting gear on my truck. Oh, my God, I got part. Of, I got a new truck was so I can put new gear on it. I like hunting, backcountry hunting, and and I talk to people things that I do, and they're like, oh, why don't you just rest? Why don't I just and I I do my share of binging. I do, but I I don't come across. I don't come away from reading a book or watching a show restored. I'll do it. It's important, but when I do something physical. I'm like, okay, I'm all begin. So the, the fact that you're saying there's already studies saying if you work with your mind, which is what I do, I never leave my day job sweating. I never leave my day job with calluses. Right. If you work with your mind, then use your hands. You work with your hands, then that that's that's really strong. That's it. So if you're a carpenter, right? Flip the tables here. If you're a carpenter, the most restored to break for you is not gonna be chopping down wood. Yeah. It's gonna be doing a crossword puzzle, right? right. Uh, so whatever it is. Take your work, do the opposite, and rest. Because what scientists understand, our bodies pulse in what are called ultradian cycles that are roughly two hours in length, right? So if you and I sit in front of our computer and do 90 minutes of deep work, i.e. recording this podcast interview, right, or writing a chapter of a book, whatever it is, uh, drafting a sales proposal, if you take a 15 to 30-minute break to rest with your hands, you will be far more productive in the next block of work. So for me, my breaks, I run. I do dishes. Dishes are my most restorative break. I love it. I get my best ideas when I do dishes or when I come back to my desk after doing dishes. Uh, It's a brilliant old adage, and we got Churchill in, in part to thank for it. All right, how about Paul McCartney? Another great story that exemplifies productive rest. Paul McCartney wrote some of the Beatles' best songs in his sleep. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones did too. Great, great story here. Uh, Richards went to bed. So every night he would sleep with the guitar and a tape recorder next to his bed. Just in case, woke up in the middle of the night, he would write something down, record it, and whatever. Wakes up the next morning, his tape recorder had played all the way to the end. He's like, that's weird. I don't remember getting up in the middle of the night recording anything. So he rewinds the tape recorder, goes to the beginning, plays it, In the middle of his sleep, unconsciously, he wrote the first verse and chorus of Satisfaction, Mm. the Rolling Stones' biggest hit of all time. And the lesson that applies to all of us is, again, rest is one of the most productive things we do, whether it's taking breaks throughout your workday or getting an eight-hour sleep opportunity every night or Sabbathing once a week. Rest is counterintuitively productive both for our goals And I would argue as a Christ follower for my soul, because it's a way of preaching to myself that the world doesn't need me to be productive all the time for the world to keep spinning. Thomas Edison. Edison slept with ball bearings in his hand. He would drape his hands over a chair and there'd be a steel pan underneath him. And so he would fall asleep. His muscles would relax. The ball bearing would go out of his hand it would hit the metal pan and clank. He would wake up and then write down his best ideas. Because like McCartney, like Richardson, he knew that sleep helped him make creative connections in his sleep. Now, we're going to keep going here. I'll tell you what I, what I love about this, Jordan, is I'm not hearing anything right now that's telling me this is how these people got to put the most activity into every day. <laughs> this is how they became more efficient. That's 
that's really intriguing me. It's about having a life that works, right? Yeah. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing so far, a great way to manage your time is sleep more. That's exactly right. And it's not about managing your time. So here's what happens. Scientists will tell you that there are creative connections happening in our sleep. So if you do any creative work, and by creative work, I also mean being the CEO of a company, COO, manager. If you have to make creative connections and think strategically, sometimes the best thing you can do is get an eight-hour sleep opportunity every night because your mind is subconsciously making connections that your conscious mind was unable to the day before. How about, how about uh, the WNBA all-star Tamika Catchings? Oh, man. So I love Tamika. She's a good friend, arguably the greatest women's basketball player of all time. Uh, so I tell Tamika's story in chapter four, which is all around this principle of prioritizing your yeses. And I would argue the way we prioritize our yeses is first and foremost by setting big, hairy, audacious, long-term goals. Tamika's a great example. When she was in the seventh grade, uh, her parents asked her what she wanted to do when she got older. And she wrote down a piece of paper, stuck it in her bathroom mirror, I'm going to be in the NBA. She's a woman. At this time, no woman had ever played in the NBA. There was no WNBA. She's like, no, yeah, I'm going to play in the NBA. And that greatly focused her time. She told me this story about how all throughout middle school, all throughout high school, that helped her prioritize her dues because she got really clear on this is what I want. Everything else is secondary. And that helped her prioritize her time. Author C.S. Lewis. One of my favorite stories in the book. Lots of people know Lewis's work. Very few people know his story. Lewis was a pretty eccentric guy. He drank beers at 10 in the morning with Tolkien, right? God uh, bless America. God bless or, Actually, England. God bless God, England. God, God bless Great no, Britain. That's the kind of information we need to be having on more podcasts. That's great. Okay. 10 a.m. doing beers. You, you got me. Maybe I'll start reading them more often. So here's his most eccentric uh, chapter of his life. He had this best friend in World War I named Patty Moore. And they promise each other, hey, if either of us die in battle, we're going to take care of each other's families, right? Sure enough, Patty dies in France, and Lewis makes good on his promise. He comes back, uh, he moves in with Patty's sister, Marine, uh, and his mom, this woman named, woman named Janine Moore. A lot of biographers think that Moore, uh, Mrs. Moore, the, the mom, and Lewis were having an affair, uh, but but romantic speculation aside, it was a very close relationship. They lived together for 30 years, and it was great at first, but over time, Mrs. Moore became a thorn in Lewis's side. She would constantly interrupt his writing, constantly, all throughout the day, asking him to do meaningless chores around the house. She would often fake a fall so that Lewis would come help her because she was desperate for attention. So about 30 years into this, uh, Mrs. Moore dies. She leaves the home. And then C.S. Lewis's productivity went through the freaking roof. In the six years after Mrs. Moore left, he wrote 10 books compared to four the previous six years. And not just any 10 books. He wrote Mere Christianity and all seven of the Chronicles of Narnia. Why? Wow. His biographers suggest, and I agree from whatever I could see from the outside, for the first time in Lewis's life, he was able to do deep Work. He was able to focus on one important project at a time uh, to get to the rim of work, to go deep, and that's how he was so wildly productive. Uh, and this is all in a chapter in the book called Accept Your Uni Presence, right? We have got to learn how to focus on one important person, 
one important task at a time if we're going to do deep work and cultivate deep relationships at home. Man, that is, that's strong. Mr. Rogers. Oh, man. I love these people you studied. And this, the is, this, is great. this is like, a great way to like, do an interview. And, and it's amazing. They're, they're in every different <laughs> walk of life. Like, what does Very Mr. Different. Rogers have in, have in common with Tamika Catchings? Like, probably nothing, but it's awesome. So All right, fill so us in. If you were to make a list of Mr. Rogers' most Christ-like qualities, I'm sure it would include love of children. I'm sure it would include a love for the least of these. Where Mr. Rogers was a great uh, racial reconciler. But I would argue that list would also have to include Mr. Rogers' ability to be crazy busy without being hurried, right? Uh, people who knew Fred Rogers would tell you that when you got into his presence, didn't matter what was on his calendar, time stood still. You were the only person in the earth that he was thinking about. They called it Fred time. They said that time would just stop when you were in Fred Rogers' presence. And the same thing's true of Jesus. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus was insanely busy. One time, his family said he was, quote, out of his mind. They thought he was so busy. But he was never busy in a way that made him frantic or anxious or angry. And I think that's the fine line between busy and hurried that we all want, right? Uh, that we're all trying to get as we seek to redeem our time. And I would argue the model for that is found in Jesus Christ and Fred Rogers. <laughs> Last one, abolitionist William Wilberforce, our listeners don't know, from England, led the, led the effort to have slavery abolished in England, which was the kingpin or the dominant need to fall for it to fall here in America. Yeah. Great encouragement if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I hate listening to time management because I'm an undisciplined mess. I don't know how to get unswamped. Wilberforce, by his own admission, was, quote, constitutionally weak with regards to self-discipline, end quote. Age of 26, uh, he's already in parliament at the age of 26, and he converts to Christianity. And he almost leaves parliament. He went to his friend John Newton, who wrote the great hymn Amazing Grace, and said, John, I think I need to become a, a quote-unquote full-time missionary or a pastor. And Newton's like, you're an idiot. Stay in parliament, right? Uh, and just change how you work. And so what Wilberforce did uh, he made two great changes after his conversion to Christianity. Number one, the object of his work changed radically, abolishing the slave trade throughout the British Empire. And number two, Wilberforce got hyper-intentional, aggressive, if you will, about redeeming his time. He started journaling admonitions to himself to get eight hours of sleep. He started taking long walks through Hyde Park in London so he could make creative connections between ideas. He was hyper-intentional about redeeming his time. Uh, and uh, I, I think it just provides encouragement to all of us who feel swamped constantly. There is hope. If Wilberforce, who by his own admission was the least disciplined person in the world, can go on to abolish the slave trade in his lifetime, man, we can do amazing things through God's strength as we get aggressive with managing our time. Very, very impressive. Just state the problem, Jordan. Just what what gets you up in the morning around this topic of time? You wrote the book. Just go off on us and why, why you come unglued when thinking about this. Yeah. I come unglued about this because I don't think, to use your words, we're aggressive enough with taking back control of our time. I think that 
This is what Paul was alluding to, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. He says that part of our response to the gospel is not sitting around and coasting until eternity. We get aggressive about, as he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That term redeeming means to buy up and to ransom. It's an aggressive posture to taking control of our to-do list, our swamped and busy schedules. Obviously, I'm a really ambitious guy. I've thought a lot and read a lot about time management over the course of my career. Um, But, you know, I've had a couple of big problems with those books over the years, which really led me to write this one. You know, real quickly, number one, most time management books I know of make uh, are, are really what I would call works-based productivity, Brian. I think you'll understand this as a pastor. Follow my system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. Yes. Well, as a follower of Jesus, I believe I have peace. I don't need a time management book to give me <laughs> peace. I start right. with peace, but I do time management exercises as an act of worship. And the second reason why I wrote this, why I felt like this crazy clutter category books needed another entrant, is Brian, I've, I'm sure you've read a lot of these books. I've never read a time management book that accounted for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This is yeah. this is mind-boggling. Highly inefficient. Highly. You're, <laughs> you're freaking walking around a lake. You're going off by yourself to pray and you could have got stuff done. Uh, you're, 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 sometimes you're meeting the needs of everybody wants it. You're walking through crowds of people. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, Jesus was highly inefficient by the, by the standards that we talk about today. That's exactly right. But Christian or not, very hard to dispute that he was the most productive person ever walked the earth. Time Magazine calls him the most influential person of all time. And you know, the problem is a lot of times we read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for their theology and their ethics exclusively. But we forget that these first four books of the New Testament are biographies of the life of Jesus Christ, right? So they don't show him with a to-do list or a smartwatch, but they do show him fighting distractions at work, right? Fighting for solitude, seeking to be busy without being hurried. And so that's what this book is like. All right, let's look at the gospels. Let's pull out these timeless time management principles from the life of Christ and then connect them to hyper-practical practices to help us get aggressive with how we redeem our time for his glory. So here's my challenge with this topic. Yeah. I have named the system, I've tried the system. So let me just go through the systems. Go for it. You know, way back when I'm in college and the hot, hot technology, this is long before iPhones, the hot technology for daytimer stuff is, or excuse me, for calendaring is daytimer. Yeah. I don't even know daytimer's around, but a special, like, bought the leather, you know, nine ring binder thing that was eight and a half by 11, or no, I had the shorter one, all the specialized pages in it. And I, and I would get that thing and I would just totally geek out of, ooh, look how organized I am. I'm carrying my leather binder around that shows how important I am. Aren't I good? I must be really managing my time. No, I just had an expensive daytimer. So, <laughs> I went from that to um, to uh, Stephen Covey's thing, sharpen the saw. I said, that's the problem. I'm not sharpening the saw. I've got a system for my notation and all of my files and my calendar, but I'm not sharpening the saw. I'm not doing those kind of things. I'm not reflecting that much. So I went into that. I, I've, I've gone into like Palm Pilot, whatever they had way, way back when. And and I've just I've downloaded so many things, looked at so many things. I I always feel like a loser. I I never stick with any of them. 
I'm tired of hearing, you know, people don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm freaking sick of it. I'm sick of it. And I also recognize, I know I could do better here. So just, I'm on your counseling couch right now. What do you say to me? Here's what I'd say to you. The reason why you and I, and I think everybody listening has felt like a loser, to use your words, uh, in this end, is because everybody has sold us uh, a bag of goods, has told us that solving our time management problems is easy. I've read 50 books in this category. Every single one of them promises me that following this person's system is going to be easy. You know, I know it's not true because there's 60,000 titles in this category on Amazon and we keep publishing books on it. And oh, by the way, we live in a fallen world. Sin has ensured that my book, anybody's book, any system can never fully solve these problems. Now, I think I could help you solve more than maybe ever before because here's the other here's the other reason why I think these systems fail. Before I wrote Redeeming Your Time, I'd have coffee with a friend like you, Brian. You and I would go out to coffee and you'd explain your problems to me. And over the course of an hour-long conversation, I would recommend a dozen books that you absolutely had to read, in my opinion, one person's opinion, to solve your time management problems. But that's the last thing any of us wants to hear. And we all know the shtick, right? These books all contain a piece of the puzzle in 10 of the 300 pages of the book. But no one of those books contains all the pieces and connects them together. And as I argue in this book, Jesus is the glue that connects the pieces of the puzzle together. He was the most purposeful, present, productive person to ever walk the earth. And through his life, I think we could see how all of this stuff connects. But if you're hearing me say, I'm going to solve all your problems— yeah, I can't well, do it. I, th- I would argue no human being can. Well, my <laughs> problems have, have shifted since I bought my first daytimer back in college. Um, they've shifted significantly. It used to be I've got, you know, a budding ministry, i.e. career. I've got a family that's starting to grow and go. I've got, you know, X number of volunteers I'm responsible for, X number of ministries I'm responsible for. I, I want to, I need to put working out in there. I've got to put in, I, I just had all these things in there. And time management for me meant how do I put these pieces together and, and have all of these things happen every week that I want or every month or every year? So it went from that, that is a problem, to now where I am, I, I don't have too much to do right now. Uh, you, you never meet anybody who says that, but I'll, I'll say I don't have too much to do. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that I don't have a demanding life that has an appropriate level of stress. But you know, I'm an empty nester. I uh, I've developed a staff and organization around me that does things that I had to do before. I um, you know I've gotten better at certain tasks. They don't take me the same length of time that did before. So it's it's not anymore like how do I jam it in? Now it's man, I want to redeem the time because I want my life to have as high of an impact as possible. And I actually have the margin to put things in the right buckets. That's my shift. So what do you say to me, Dr. Time Manager? I I would say you're in a wonderful position. I think a lot of people envy that position. And yeah, listen, I, I think when we get to these seasons where we get better at practicing how we're stewarding this vapor of a life, as James says, uh, yeah, and we've got margin to add things in our calendar. We've got to get better than ever about getting clear about what we want for each of our callings, right? I, a lot of people I talk to, um, especially when they're having trouble saying no to demands on their time, it's because they have yet to give 
a really big burning yes to something, right? And so in this season of life for you, for anyone who shares your profile listening, yeah, it's getting really good at, at declaring those big, hairy, audacious goals that you feel the Lord has called you to chase after, right? And that's going to help you uh, discern the essential from the noise that's competing for your attention. So you're obviously a believer. You uh, th- That's a basis for your life. I want to get into uh, your seven steps. Yeah. But before we do, let's just explain the phrase you keep using that's in the Bible, redeeming the time. What does that mean to redeem the, t- the time is evil? It needs to be helped. Redeem the time. I've got to turn something in and get something in exchange. Rede- wh- wh- what's that mean? Redeeming my time. You're a pastor, Brian, so you could probably speak to this more eloquently than I can. But here's but what I, I haven't understand. written. A, but I haven't written a time management there book. You and you go. Keep, there and you're you the go. one who's used the phrase a couple I'm using times. It. So I'm using it. Let's go there. No, I've studied this deeply, uh, and a lot of commentators on this verse. So the title of the book, Redeeming Your Time comes straight from scripture. It comes from, from Ephesians 5, 16, uh, where the apostle Paul commands his readers. He says, he basically says, hey, in response to the gospel, in response to this idea that Jesus Christ has saved you, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, right? And the word he uses for redeeming Redeeming, according to my Bible concordance, means to buy up, to ransom. Tim Keller, great pastor, commenting on this verse, said, time stewardship is a command, right? We are called to get intentional, rolling up our sleeves to redeem our time because the days are evil, which means we're running out of time to do the work that God has called us to do in this lifetime. Now, we can be at peace knowing that you know, God doesn't need us to finish our to-do lists. If if the things on our to-do list are on his to-do list, he's going to finish them with or without us. But we're running out of time to be a part of the blessing of partnering with him to advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's good. All right, let's look at our seven, our seven, seven things here. You get 60 seconds for each because we've also got to, we want to help people and we also want to make sure that you don't give away all the content of your books. <laughs> 60 <laughs> I'll seconds. give it all away. All right, let's Number do it. Number one, start with the word. More than sleep, more than food, Jesus prioritized time with his father. If we want to redeem our time, not for our temporal purposes, but for God's eternal purposes, we got to know what the word says about the author of time, about time itself, and about our role in it. That's principle number one. Principle number two, let your yes be yes. We talked a few minutes ago about setting big goals. Before we add anything new to our plate, we got to make sure that every commitment, big and small, is taken care of, that we've got a system to track all of those things because Jesus commanded that our yes be yes. Principle number three, descent from the kingdom of noise. Brian. I like that one already. Descent from the kingdom of noise. I, I I don't have to cite the cliche of all cliches. We are living at a noisy time. We all get it. What I think we need to understand more deeply is just how out of line this is with the example of Jesus and the Gospels, right? The number of times Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John showed Jesus withdrawing to a, quote, lonely place or solitary place is staggering. And it makes sense, right? Because we need silence and solitude to think, to be creative, and I would argue most importantly, to listen to the voice of God, right? So that's number three, descent from the king of noise. Number four, prioritize your yeses. 
don't need to say much about this one. Jesus didn't say yes to everything. Neither can mm. we. Uh, number five, accept your uni presence. Pretty wild to think about the fact that omnipresent God, a God who was everywhere all the time for 33 years, confined himself to one place at a time in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was unipresent, if we're allowed to make up words on this podcast. Principle six, we've talked a lot about already, embrace productive rest. There are at least three rhythms of rest uh, that are counterintuitively productive for our goals and our souls. And then finally, principle number seven, eliminate all hurry, uh, borrowed from my friend John Mark Comer and Dallas Willard. You know, we as Christians, we as just people, should embrace busyness. It's good to have a full calendar. It's good to have a full life. But we can never allow that pursuit of productivity, of busyness, to cross us over into the territory of hurry, which is soul-sucking, life-sucking, and just makes us angry, horrible people to be around for ourselves and for the people around us. It's hard to disagree with that. Let's just have a little spirited debate here. Let's do it. This is great. It's hard to disagree with the elimination of hurry. And uh, my buddy, John Mark Homer, wrote a great, great book on that. Um, It's hard, it's hard to, hard to disagree with it. Here's the other side of of the equation though. Most people who I know who are trying to do that and are talking about that don't lead anything complex. Yes. Dallas yes. Willard, wonderful. Dallas, amazing guy. I need to learn a lot from he did He didn't have three people reporting to him, let alone 100. He didn't have a budget he had to hit. Good, just go right on down the list with John Mark. You know, uh, he, um, he wanted to get out of leading a church and leading an organization, which was the right call for him because he is, I believe, I believe he is the current generations C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller. I think that's that's the mark on him. He's just he's just brilliant. But the people who write those books and say what you're just saying right now, my experience, they're not people who are building things, who have organizations that report up to them and have the demands beyond meeting a writing deadline. I completely agree. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this in this book, because okay. I'm not that guy. I've right. run companies with hundreds of people, right? Yeah. Uh I think what's I know a lot of people like me who never picked up John Mark's great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because they in the in that title, you can't get the very important nuance between busyness and hurry. So let's go Mm. there for a minute and just go a little bit deeper. Busyness is an outward condition, in my opinion. It's a condition of the body, right? It's when I got a lot of things going on. Hurry is this inner condition of my soul, right? So to make this really practical, busyness is when I have a ton of meetings on my calendar with my team. Hurry is when I've scheduled those meetings so closely together that I have to sprint from one to the next and I have no time to make eye contact with the people that I come across in between them, right? Busyness is when I got a lot of errands to run. Hurry is when I get pissed off at the grocery store because I chose lane three instead of lane four and couldn't afford the 30 seconds I lost in making the quote-unquote wrong choice, right? So I love busyness. I think we should have, we should be working heartily as under the Lord, as Paul says in Colossians 3.23 and through all of his letters, he's talking about how hard he worked, right? But hurry is this place where we are so busy, so over busy, 
uh, that we've got no time to think, that we've got no time to make eye contact with people and say hello to people in the halls as we're going from one meeting to the next. We have no time to listen to God's voice as to what what just happened in that meeting uh, that, that I need to that I need to think about a little bit more. We got no time for that. That's hurry. And for me, as a really ambitious entrepreneur, I found that hurry isn't just soul sucking. It also sucks my ability to discern the essential from the noise. It goes back to this principle of descent from the kingdom of noise, right? If I'm constantly hurried, I've got no time to think. I've got no time to evaluate which of the thousands of inputs in my email inbox and my text message and social media and LinkedIn, whatever, is the most important for me to focus on, for my team to focus on this today, this week, this quarter. That's a great distinction. I like that a lot. I know in my schedule, I like to bundle meetings, bundle them all together. But I also want to have you know, a little, a little break between them, even if it's just 15 minutes, just in case one goes over long or something happens. So I'm not just feeling like I'm, I'm hurrying every place. So that, that's a great delineation between hurry and busyness. That's great. Have you ever, have you ever heard about the ringing effect, Brian? No. Do you know about this? No. So the ringing effect, uh, is best illustrated with traffic. I don't know what it's like in Cincinnati, but in Tampa, where I live, predictably five o'clock get in the interstate and everything comes to a standstill and that it's actually not logical right that one car three miles up the road would tap on his brakes and cause all traffic to come to a standstill but scientists will tell you the reason is the ringing effect it's when a system gets past 90 percent capacity small disturbances destroy the whole thing right and that's true of interstates but it's also true of our calendars when we're scheduled 90% plus, you can't afford, Brian, for that one-hour meeting to go one hour and five minutes, right? Because you got no margin built in, right? That one meeting goes late. The whole thing is thrown off. You see this in interstates. You see this with airlines. You see it in our schedules. And to get on the right side of this busy, hurry divide, we have to put the ringing effect in its place and just budget more margin into our days. When we're past 90% capacity, small disturbances cause chaos. And why is it called the ringing effect? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'll look that up for you. But no, that, that's, that's, really, that's really strong because efficiency would tell us if we're at 90% capacity, that's not good. You need your factories running 100%. You need your calendar running 100%. You need all that stuff 100%. That, that's really, really clear. I love that. All right. Are you ready for the lightning round? I think of all the people we've had on the podcast, I'll bet you're the person who could do the rules of the lightning round because you've been darn, darn good. Of course, the guy who talks about time management has been incredibly efficient with his answers. Very, very (laughs) impressive. All right, Jordan, I'm going to give you a topic and you are going to give your best quick hit advice on it. And I say quick, I'm talking two sentences at max. Are you up for the challenge of the lightning round? I'm up for it. Limiting distractions. You choose when you're going to respond to messages, not the other way around. Handling email during the workday. I should have said that, saved this, uh, saved that last answer for this one. That's all right. You're all right. Uh, yeah, listen. We, tr- I'm, this could be more than two senses, but I think it'll, I'll let I you think it'll work. I think it'll yeah. work. 
Imagine if the mailman stopped coming to your house once a day. He started coming 150 times a day. But he didn't stay at the curb. He came to your door, rang the doorbell. You got up from whatever you were doing, opened the door, grabbed the envelope. Maybe you open it, maybe you don't, but you at least steal a glance at who sent it. We would all agree that's certifiably insane. That is precisely what most of us do with email and text messages. We have got to recognize we have more control over these things than we think we do. I, I go at this at length in the book and give people tools to choose ahead of time when they're going to respond to incoming messages. Because this, if we can't do this, we can't do deep work, period. That's brilliant. I'm glad you went beyond a couple sentences. I've been thinking about doing, and I'll just hit the pause button or light around for a moment. I've been thinking about going to a, oh, I don't even know what the right phrase is, you know, a, a personal coach, going to a consultant, going to somebody just to look at how I'm living my life and where I'm putting my time and priorities right now to say, okay, is this, is this the right way it is? And I am sure if I, if, and when I find that right person and we start digging in, I am positive. This is number one that they're going to find is I, I just respond to, I, I check email too often. I let it hijack me emotionally. Uh, and man, you're right. I would never go outside of the, the mailbox multiple times a day. Shoot, <laughs> shoot. I have a mailbox that's at the front of our my, our neighborhood and I intentionally decide I'm not going to look at it today because I'm only going to do it every other day and take it out. But yeah, when it comes to email, whoo. Let me give you some encouragement. It. Let me give you yeah. some encouragement. About 10 years ago, I was running a, a fairly large company that's when I decided for the first time, you know what? I'm going to check email three times a day. And I was freaking out because we were in client service. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose all of our clients. You know what happened uh, when I stopped checking email every second of the day? Nothing. Like literally nothing. Uh, <laughs> we got better results for our clients. Today, I'm down to one block a day that I check my messages. This is one of the most life-giving habits. I'm not saying it has to be one. If you're in sales, you probably got to check it five times a day. It doesn't matter how many times. What matters is that you choose when it happens. And real quick, I know we're going long, Brian, but I'm going to give your listeners three simple, simple things they can do to start doing this. Say, number one. Just go ahead and schedule on your calendar when you're going to do this every day, when you're going to check messages. Number two, build a list of VIPs that can get a hold of you outside of those times. Your boss, your wife, your husband, whatever, right? And give them unfettered access to ring you when your phone is on do not disturb, right? Step three, right? Uh, once, Once you've done those steps, once you've checked your messages, turn off your phone, put it on do not disturb, close your email down, and be done. You could be at peace ignoring those incoming messages because you've set expectations with people. You've given your VIPs a way to get a hold of you outside of your, you know, whatever, three to five times a day. It's one of the most life-changing of the 32 practices in the book. Okay, this is how clueless I am right now. You're, <laughs> I, I feel very stupid right now. You're saying I could put do not disturb on my phone, I get that, the little moon signal, yep. symbol. Yep. But there's people I can give access yes. that could override that. Yes, yeah, so few, don't feel stupid. Mm. Almost nobody dirt, I did teach you know, us to. Did, did you know this, Dirt? Dirt dirt doesn't know that either over here, our producer. Oh my gosh, Fascinating. all right, all right. Fascinating. Whoever you put on the favorites wow. list on your phone. Okay. Calls from those people and those people alone will come through. You will not get notified of text messages. Dang. You will not get notified of social media notifications. That's wow. it. Wow. Super simple. Okay. 
Wow. All right, man. Dag Zooks. That is a that is a change gamer right there because, yeah, that's but that should just be like a nonstop thing. Yeah, great, dude. All right. So glad you're so glad you're sucking at the uh, at the lightning round because your content's <laughs> great. You're you're breaking the rules though. All right. Uh, next one. Side hustle work. Put it in its place. Confine it to a set box on your calendar. For me, for years, this was writing. First 90 minutes of the day and only those 90 minutes, that was my side hustle, right? After that, I was fully focused on the quote-unquote day job. Putting up boundaries to protect family and weekends. Never, ever check email. And at nighttime, convert your cell phone into a landline for a few hours. Really simple how you do this. Find a room in the house that you don't go into when you're with your your family. Put your phone in there. Uh, if you want to keep the ringer on, that's fine. It'll ring if somebody needs you, just like a landline. You'll have to go get it. Otherwise, you will have zero temptation to check email because your phone's in your pocket. Mm. Zero temptation to check text messages. Zero temptation to check Instagram. You've converted in a landline for the two and a half hours that you want to go deep with your family at night. Getting enough rest or sleep. For years, I thought seven hours is enough. Every scientist in the world would tell me I'm a liar. You're six times more likely to win an Olympic gold medal than to be one of the rare people in the world that can operate at 100% on less than eight hours of sleep a night. I hate this. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. I'm in the fight of my life for sleep. But every night, both me and my wife, I shouldn't say every night, 90% of the time, get get eight hours of sleep. So what do we do with these? Okay, we're done with the lightning round. Just one more piggyback question. So wh- what do we do with these with these people in history or who write books or who are titans of industry who yeah. claim that they're four and five hours yeah. a night? I mean, are, they, are they all lying? No, or are they- no, listen. This is the beauty. This is why, this is why I love God's word so much because it reminds us that he alone produces results, not us, Right. God can produce results through somebody sleeping two hours a night or sleeping eight hours a night. But more often than not, he's producing those results through the people getting eight hours of sleep a night. Well, and what I also wonder with the 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 one-off strange ones who say and swear they can do it by four, four or five hours a night, I also wonder if there's been studies on those folks that say, okay, you're getting less, maybe more productive a day because you have more time, but you're getting sick more during the year. So you have more off days. You're dying earlier. You're having more diseases. I mean, our body just is meant to shut down. And that's part of the whole thing of time management. It's all about generally, how can I maximize the most today? Whereas the aggressive life is about how do you maximize the most with your life? You nailed with it. With your life. You nailed it. People who sleep less live shorter. Uh, they're twice as high at risk for certain forms of cancer. Go read Dr. Matthew Walker's terrific book on this, Why We Sleep. The scientific evidence is overwhelming <laughs> uh, to this regard. If you want to maximize your time today, sure, sleep two hours. If you want to maximize the impact of your life, fight for an eight-hour sleep opportunity every night. Great. Jordan Rayner. Tell us uh, how we can find more stuff from you, how we can follow you. Give us an advertisement for yourself. 
Alright, tons of free stuff for you at jordanrainer.com, including a weekly devotional, uh, my weekly podcast, The Call to Mastery. And yeah, listen, we've been talking about redeeming your time. You can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. Just go search on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Brother, very stimulating today. Very, very helpful. You've actually redeemed the time management industry for me. I know the Bible says redeem the time. You've actually redeemed time management. I'm, I find myself um, excited to dig back into this and look at my life and make some changes. And uh, you brought a lot today, man. Really, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right. All right, boys and girls, that's it. We've come to the end of another aggressive life. And here's what aggressive life is. Let me tell you what it is. What it is, is you taking something you got here today and you doing that. This is not about, ooh, I heard something interesting that's going to make my cocktail conversation that much more deep and profound. No, try something. The do not disturb button and having a true refiner's comb over who's on your favorite list they can get through you. That's, that's one I'm going to do. I'm going to do that one. Uh, looking at how you're sleeping, that could be another one. Looking at, I don't know what it is, but there's something probably that happened today that you need to do. Do the aggressive thing and do it. And that's all we got today on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.